Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to look at verses 23 to 31 today. If you do not have a faith in action sheet, raise your hand. We have people coming around. We'll help you with that. Raise your hand high. We're continuing our uh, Firming Up a Firm Foundation series, and uh, we'll have, soon have, uh, follow-up supplemental content, classes, workshops, blogs, podcasts, a number of things to help bolster uh, this particular area. And we'll also have opportunities for you to actually approach these four areas that we'll be emphasizing from this pulpit for the next couple of years as a sort of a school you can graduate from. So more on that soon. Uh, many opportunities coming. So you're going to need your Bible if you're going to look at this 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, 31. And uh, let's take our sheet out. And let's see if we can't get into this. This is an important subject, my friends. The Lord's Supper, or what we call Eucharist, is one of the three main sacraments of the church. Now, there are other sacraments, different traditions, but these three, fairly common across the church universally. And what are those three? First is baptism. Second is holy communion, what we call Eucharist. And the third is the sacrament of marriage. Okay, so we'll just, we'll just mention those three for right now. There is also the anointing of the sick and uh, other things, but for right now, baptism, holy communion, and marriage. And what do those three have in common? This is interesting. Um, write down what you think they have in common. We'll get to that in a moment. Now I have a question here. Are the bread and the wine simply symbols or signs? Is that what we're dealing with here? And what is the relationship between tangible, visible things and intangible, invisible things? Jesus, this is something we need to understand. You're kind of new to the faith or you've been, you know, told different things. I'll give you, I'll give you plenty to think about today as it pertains to this impre- incredibly sacred meal. So what is a sacrament? That's the word we use for these things. Sacrament. What's a Sacrament. The sacrament is, uh, well, there's a lot of things we can put down. Put down holy rite, R-I-T-E, holy rite. It's a a holy uh, ordinance of some kind, ordained by God, uh, ordained by Christ. It's ceremonial in some aspects, I get that. And it seems to always be an impartation of grace, something that God calls us to do, encourages us to do, that's a holy rite, a ritual, it is traditional and it is ceremonial, but there's an impartation of grace involved, okay? Now, as I said in the opening of the, of the service today, another thing that these sacraments do is they inextricably connect us with the history of the church, the patriarchs, all the way back to Polycarp, which was the Apostle John's disciple, first century, second century, third century, all the way through Origen, Martin Luther, the Reformation. It ties us all together. It's the one, one of the one things that ties us all together is this uh, Holy Communion. The early church, even in the times of Jesus. So we're, whether you like it or not, we're connected. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's a good thing. It was God's design that we'd be connected. Holy communion can also be described as, here it is, 
a mystery. And we, we best get used to this mystery aspect of it because it was intended to be so. Part of the definition of the word sacrament is mystery. If you took the, if you took the mystery of Holy Eucharist and you, you blended it with baptism and you looked at it in marriage, you would, you would come up with, yeah, there is this mystery here. In other words, you're not, I'm not, collectively we're not going to get this whole thing figured out this morning. And it's intended to be that way. It's intended to not be fully understood. For those things that we fully understand, I think we have a tendency to redefine. If we can't fully define something, there's no way we can redefine it. We don't have an original definition to begin with. Said another way, sometimes if you know too much, you can really mess things up. It's a mystery. I'm going to use a, a word that makes me sound intelligent because, frankly, I'm not, and I like sounding intelligent from time to time. Mysterion. This mysterion is this aspect of our, of our collective Christian faith that sort of is the, the one word that best describes the mystery of marriage, of the Eucharist, of baptism, of, of Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's... Regardless of our Tower of Babel mentality and humanity today, that we think we know everything and we're learning things and we can do this incredible amount of stuff, which God said we would, he still has reserved and put to the side things we're not going to figure out. Get used to it. This is one of them. And frankly, it's a good thing. Ephesians 5, 31 and 33, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. Some of you are saying, I still haven't left my in-laws. Okay, well, that's a mystery of a different kind. That's not what I'm here to deal with. We'll deal with that in counseling. That was supposed to be funny. Thank you for fairly subtle and subdued laughter, but nonetheless laughter, right? For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Ooh, that's kind of mysterious. This is a profound mystery. That's what Paul says. This is a profound mystery. But I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and wife must respect her husband. Ephesians 5, 31 to 33. Eucharist, see, we say Holy Communion. Some people say Lord's Supper, Holy Table, whatever. But Eucharist, what is that word? That word means to give thanks. There it is, simple. Charis is the root of the word Charismatic, which is, charis means grace. It means to give thanks. The whole table that we come to today is intended at its central point, its central theme is one of thanksgiving. That's why some of us find thanksgiving one of the best holidays. It's not just the football and the family and the family doesn't stick around that long at Thanksgiving, which is another good thing to be thankful for. Four days, plenty. But we like to give thanks. It's in us. And if you have much to be grateful for, you love it even more. So what's the opposite of Eucharist? If the whole table, which we got to right there, is about giving thanks then what is not the Eucharist? What is in opposition to the Eucharist, as special as it is, what 
deprives or dilutes or denounces or some, it, it defiles the Eucharist. What is it? Well, a lack of gratitude. It's the very opposite of what the meaning of the table is. If we're not grateful, we have no thanksgiving, we're not appreciative. If we're complainers, everything that gets in that thing is kind of an opposite of what this table's about. Just on a very broad spectrum, very general, 30,000 foot view. You hear me quote this from time to time. I have grown so sensitive to complaining in other people, but more importantly, in my own life. Philippians 2 and 14, do all things. This is a good memory verse. I should have put this in the memory verses. Do all things without arguing or complaining, but be blameless and pure, children of God, without fault, in the midst of a wicked and depraved generation. We've got that. You should shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of truth. Paul says, even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering, he says, I'm going to be okay with that. He also says, in times of plenty and in times of lack, we should be content. The true follower of Christ who's really faithful and is wanting to be, to be uh, molded and shaped and, and to have Christ in them, the hope of glory, is one who comes to the point somewhere along the line and says, I no longer have a right to complain. If it wasn't for complaining, think about this now. If it wasn't for complaining, the world, the media, the airways would be strangely quiet. There wouldn't be much said, really. It would be very subdued. You couldn't fill 24 hours of television with no complaining. Couldn't be done. Impossible. So Jesus gives us this meal, and he gives it to us on a night when he's going to be betrayed, arrested, beaten, falsely accused, and only hours away from hanging on a cross. And he gives us a meal about Thanksgiving. Wow. And he slips in a foot washing on him. What's he doing? What's he saying? What's he mysteriously trying to get by us here? The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given to them, given thanks, he broke it and said, you've heard me talk about this before. This is review for some of you, but it's, it's worth reviewing. When Jesus handles this meal, or he handles anything like it, he purposely handles it in the same manner, the same sequence, every single time time. You can't just dismiss that. If the ancient of days, the Lord of the universe, the Prince of Peace, and the King of Kings does something time and time and time again in the same manner, in the same sequence, getting the same results, you almost have to say, okay, what's that about? He always takes the bread. He always blesses it. He always breaks it, and he always gives it to them. We'll get to that in a few minutes. 
always. And he says, this is my body, which is for you. In taking the bread, we're called to remember Jesus' body broken for us. Okay? Some scholars, I don't know how they do this, but they say the body isn't necessarily the word soma, which means physical body. They say it means the person of Christ. Interesting. That's an interesting thought. We'll come back to that as well. See, it's time for the Passover meal. And they're having this Eucharist meal. The Passover meal had unleavened bread without yeast because they had to get out of Egypt. The spirit of death was coming over them. They didn't have time for the bread to rise. Yeast in the Bible is associated with sin. A little bit of yeast and leaven goes through the whole batch of dough. So they had, (laughs) excuse me, unleavened bread. And that's what we have in Jesus. The absence of yeast, the absence of sin on our behalf as our representative. He says, do this in remembrance of me. Now, I know we never separate those words, but separate them for a moment. He said, hey, just do this. Do this. I'm going to be arrested in in about an hour and a half. Do this. Going forward, we're not going to have a time to talk about it. Yeah, I'll be around for 40 days after I rise from the dead. But listen, here's the point I want to make to you right now. Hey, I need you guys to do this. Do it. What does do this mean? It it means don't not do it. Do it. He didn't say understand it. He didn't say study it. He didn't say write books about it. He just said do this. I need you to do this. You need you to do this. There's a mystery here that you need and I need you to do. I need you to do this because what happens, it gives him room to work in the mystery, you see without having been asked to work in the mystery. There's a mystery there in a transaction that happens that he now has the liberty to work within in any way he sees fit because it's his territory, not ours. It's his understanding, not ours. It's not for us to know, it's for him to use. That's why he says, do this. I need you all to do this. I don't need, it's like your kids. You ever heard? I need you to do this. I don't need you to ask questions. I don't need you to backtalk me. I need you to do it. I just need you to do this. And when he says do this, I think what he's saying is, you have no idea why you need to do this, but listen, doing it is so important for your good, for your benefit, for your well-being, to bless you. God has reserved in our lives this area where he's free to work without our understanding or asking for him to work. He could do that anyway, but he's using this particular table even today in such a manner and enveloped in such a a cloud of, um, of mystery that when you come to that table, he can do something in you mysterious that he can do in the next person totally different. He knows exactly what you need from this meal He understands it, you don't, but do it. Don't ask questions. Just prepare yourself properly for it and come in a reverent and sober manner and just let me do, just let him do his job. Will you? That's what he's saying. Just let me do my job. Just let me do my job. I mean, it's about the only part of our life 
where we don't think we have something figured out. And it's the one part of his interaction with us where he could do something without us questioning it, totally disagreeing with it, over-accentuating it, misinterpreting it. It's just his. It's his territory, okay? Back off. Just do this. And he says, do this in remembrance of me. Do this. Don't vote on it. Just don't debate it. Don't make a YouTube video. Just do it. You and I have to understand something. We don't have to be in control of every single thing we do and all the ways that we grow. We don't. We give him the room to do in our life what we may not even know we need most. I like him being in charge of the meal. I don't want to be in charge of the meal. Man, there's no question if I really knew, if I really knew what was going on there, I could mess it up. I could misunderstand it. I could get puffed up. I could get brought low. It's not my, sorry, it's not my purview. I don't have the clout. I don't, I don't have the permission. I just need to do it. And sometimes, you know what? Just being faithful is what you're called to. Just be faithful. And prepare yourself to come up here early in a few minutes. Do this in remembrance of me. What is this remembrance of me? What he's saying is, like, like for you guys right here this night, you're, you're going to wonder if we're ever going to have a chance to do this again. But I'm telling you, we're going to do it time and time and time again. I'm actually going to overcome death. And we're going to do it over and over and over and over again. It'll be different each time, perhaps. Maybe the same for a while, but it'll be different. It'll be what you need. And I just want you to remember, not like they forgot, but I want you to relive this. I want you to relive this situation. I want to come into your life fresh each time. Some aspect of Christ is going to come into your life shrouded in this mist of mystery, in this smoke machine of a, of a meal. There's something that he's going to do in this transaction with you by faith. You don't have an understanding of, but when he does it, it's going to enliven you and quicken you to the essence of him in you again and again and again. It's so simple. Um, how many of you saw uh, Castaway? Okay. Some of you never know if you should raise your hand. I don't know, was that movie bad? Should I have seen that? What, what's he getting, where's he getting at here? Here's a guy, Tom Hanks. He's on an island by himself. He's scared. Plane went down. He's all alone. He doesn't really know where he is. But he knows he misses his wife. He knows that much. He doesn't know if he's ever getting off the island. He's trying to chart where he is, how long it would take people to find him, how many square miles they're going to have to look. He's counting the days by marking them on a rock. He's opened up every FedEx box that's come up onto the shore from the plane wreck except one. And all he, he has one flashlight and he has a picture of his wife. 
small one, Helen Hunt. And it means so much to him in his lonely, dark cave at night when there's a storm outside. It means so much to him. Oh, and he's got an absence too, by the way, by the way. That's, but he gets it out with an ice skate. So there's good news there. And he turns his flashlight on and he clicks it using his battery so he can see his wife in the picture. And then it goes off and it goes on and goes off. And however long he can keep that flashlight on, he's not alone. She's there with him. But she's not. She's not there. It's just a picture. That's all it is. When you come up here, if it's just a wafer, and Christ isn't in it, and there's no mystery, save your time. I mean, really. Is that all we have to offer here? A symbol? You can do something with a symbol. You come eat a picture. That's just going to be a cup with some juice in it. Is that all that is? If that's just a symbol, where's the mystery? What's, what's sacred about that? And, and how does God work in that? I'd rather work him in his blood than I would the wine or the, cool, or the juice. Where's the mystery? There has to be something more here. This is one of the last things he's going to do before he dies. You don't think it has some weight to it? I think it does. Yes, it has to do this, he says, in remembrance of me. In other words, we're going to reliven you with me, the essence of who I am. That's more than a wafer. It's, it's the person or the essence or the body of Christ. And that's more than juice. He asked for that room, let's give it to him. It's like the manna in the desert. They, they had the manna in the desert. They're out there, they have nothing to eat. There's no, there's no Ingalls. There's, there's no QT. They pick that up and they look at it and, 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 and this is what they said. What is it? What is this? What is this? You know, I don't know. Eat it. Well, you eat it. Let's give it to so-and-so. He'll eat anything. What's the kid with ate the life cereal? He'll eat anything. Mikey, thank you. So you saw that. All right. Finally, you saw something. Good. I'll use that as an example someday. All right, so give it to Mikey. He'll eat it. He eats anything. What is it? I don't know. It tastes like, uh, like uh, I don't know, coriander seed or something. I don't know. It's got a thing in it, maybe a kind bar or something like that. And uh, that was the precursor to this table right here with the wafer. You should, you should pick it up and go, what is it? And you should say, I can't wait to find out. But I know it's exactly what I need. And I know it's not a wafer. I know it's mysterious. And I know there's something going to be done with that because I got up by faith and walked up here. After examining myself 
And, and, and I know that I need that wafer. I know I need it. I don't know what it is, but I know I need it. What is it? I don't know. It doesn't matter. You're not in charge of that, nor am I. I need it, though. And I need that cup. And I know that cup has everything to do with forgiveness. And I know I need that, and I always need that, and I'm always up for that. But there's more to it. I don't know what that is. It's a mystery. Now, you'll go across Christianity, you'll find everything from one end zone to the other. You'll have denominations that hardly ever do communion. They don't even do the do this. There's a name for that. It's called stupid. When you say do this and you don't do it, come on. All right, so that's that. Not even doing it or do it and it's a picture with a flashlight. And, we're, and at that point, you're doing it just simply to do it because you were supposed to do it, but you aren't even doing it right. You don't even know what it is. You don't even expect anything. It's just a symbol. And then on the other hand, you've got the Roman Catholic Church, where it's everything, everything. It is the blood. It is the body. I mean, everything in between. And you know what I think about all of that? I don't. The whole purpose of communion is to be the one thing that we share, the one meal that we have in common, the one meal that holds us together, and it's a mystery, and if it's a mystery, Who am I to tell people what the mystery is? It's a mystery. Whatever. I got better things to do than pontificate on that and have some sort of division over the thing that's supposed to unite us all. That doesn't make any sense. So whatever. I'm not in charge of that either. Thank God. Do this in remembrance of me, he says. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. See, on the Passover meal, they'd have plenty of cups. There's cups everywhere. They had different purposes, and they used them through the whole thing. And they told the story of their, of their people. But this particular cup is a different than all the other cups. It was the cup of redemption. And that's the cup when he got to. He says, all right, now hold on here. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's, let's pay attention to this particular cup. This cup, this cup right here. It's a new covenant in my blood, he says. We're going to do something different with this. In fact, you can expect different things from the results of this cup than you would any other cup. And uh, I don't, I'm not going to tell you what they are, but they have to do with the fact that I'm in a covenant with you. And there's nothing stronger than a covenant. Stronger than death. Stronger than sin. It's a covenant. And, and they're having a covenant meal. To seal the new covenant. Remember when Abraham had those three visitors come to his camp and Sarah was there giggling behind the curtain? I don't know what her deal was that day. Inexcusable. Anyway, that was their covenant meal. They had sealed the covenant to get us to this covenant. So what's this new covenant all about? For I will forgive their iniquity. Sweet. And their sin I will remember no more, even better. God's going to forgive my sin. I don't know, you don't, I don't know how well you know me. I have no shortage of sin over the years. That's good. To have your sin forgiven, touchdown. 
to have your sin forgiven and he forgets it, that's winning the Super Bowl, my friends. He can't change his mind. He can't come back on you. That's good blood. That's mysterious enough for me. But if there's more, I'm all for that too. I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. Now you're talking. Jeremiah 31 and 33. Now you're getting there. He's not just going to forgive our sin and forget it. He's now going to put his word on our hearts. I've hidden your word in my heart that you might not sin against me. You mean I'm just not going to be a sin machine over and over and over being forgiven over and over and over and him forgetting over and over and over. No, he's going to put his word in my heart. Now notice, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. He's not going to put his word in my mind. If he just put it in my mind, I could forget it. I could not use it. I could not understand how to use it. I could be afraid to use it. I could be a spiritual wussy and not even get out there and tell people the truth. But no, he's not going to put it in my mind. He's going to put it in my heart. Because he puts it on the t- writes it on the tablet of my heart, let love and faithfulness never leave you. Write them on the tablet of your heart, and you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Proverbs 3, 3, and 4. If it's in my heart, I don't have to memorize it. I already have it. If you think memorizing those verses I gave you is a mental gymnastic exercise, you're sadly mistaken. I know for a fact you can't remember where your car is after the service. I'd rather have the scripture in your heart. That's a covenant. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Thank God I belong to somebody. I belong to somebody. You belong to somebody. You were purchased by what's in that cup. Huh? Come on. I belong to somebody. Can you imagine? He's a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, for the orphan somewhere and some orphanage somewhere in the world waiting for someone to come in and say, yeah, I'll take this kid. And, And he's been passed by time and time and time again. Only to find out someday later, after he's 18 and nobody picked him, God picked him in the first round of the draft. Adopted him in the first round. Unbeknownst to him, God spoke for him and purchased him by his blood. Now we're getting somewhere. That's mysterious, but I like it. So we're going to have this new covenant For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. He's looking forward. He's looking forward to what? The marriage supper of the Lamb. How'd you like to be the maitre d' to that soiree? Jesus spoke of his longing expectation for the day when he would take communion with his people in heaven. Man, he's patient which is the ultimate Lord's Supper. Wow, big thinker. Do this, do this, do this, please do this. So then when whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. 
For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. This is so weighty. This is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. There is a mystery awaiting us at this table. The table's not to be taken casually. There's a preparation that has to take place where you actually examine yourself and your motives so as not to work against the very purpose of the table, which is thanksgiving, giving thanks. Do you have an unresolved issue with somebody? You know, we started this series with um, the importance of worship in our life. But God has some things that are more important than worship. Our unresolved issues with one another, before you bring your gift of worship to the altar, go reconcile with the person you have an issue with. I find that interesting. God has such a high premium on us getting along and being unified. How are these people out here going to know we are his disciples if we don't love one another? It's, it's crazy sometimes what comes out of our mouth as we, with, we don't realize it. We're denigrating the church. We're talking ill of the church. We're, 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 we're talking about our experiences in the church that were horrible or divisive. You got hurt. You got betrayed. I got news for you. There's two sides to every story. And we're telling people out there that don't know anything about the church. We've basically just told them, don't even bother. And then we come to this table as though everything's fine. It's not. We have to love each other. Reconcile with each other. It's important. By the way, that is actually the strategy of game plan of Satan himself. In this country, at this time, what Satan is trying to do is offend people. Get them offended. If they can just be offended, just a little bit offended, they have room to be self-righteous. They have room to look down on somebody, especially in the church. That's what he wants. Get down on somebody. Get a problem going and then disappear and don't even reconcile. Don't even think there's a problem. Deny there's a problem. Just disappear. That's Satan. We're so afraid to confront one another. Do you have any idea why I take the stance on a Sunday morning to sometimes be candid and to be like, I don't know, maybe lovingly in your face? Because I want you to know that that actually can happen and the world will not stop spinning. It's okay. It's okay. We have to learn how to confront, reconcile. That's what that table's about. As important as that table is, if we don't do that, now we're discounting the value of the table. And... We're really discounting the value of the mystery of the what is it that he wants to do in our life. That's why you got to be real serious about this. These people in Corinth had this totally upside down. And the Lord got tired of it and said, all right, just come on home then. I'm going to take you out of the game. I'm not going to put you on the bench. I'm going to take you out of the stadium. Come up here with me. You're messing things up. You know, that early church didn't have a lot of room for error. 
you start going the wrong direction in the early church and you, don't, and you stay off that exit long enough, there's a getting, no getting back to the highway. That leaves us incredibly confused. No, there's no room for that. And they knew it. The Lord told me this yesterday. I want you to think about this. We have defined spiritual warfare as solely prayer for the most part. Spiritual warfare is about putting on the armor of God, getting in your prayer closet and open your Bible and start praying. That's exactly right. Nothing wrong with that whatsoever. But you want to know another form of warfare? It's the form of warfare where you actually forgive somebody. You have a change of mind and a change of heart. You reconcile. You lay aside the offense. You, you, you put it down. That was the very thing Satan's trying to get built up because that's what's going to ruin us. When you change of heart, when you repent, when you, when you fix the situation, when you fix your behavior, that's just more warfare than anything. We've relegated it to a prayer closet and we could be praying the pain off the walls, but we have an issue with 10 other people that are unresolved. We're using a, so I think we're using a machine gun when we be, could be using a, like a grenade or a missile. Warfare is not just in, in the bunker where you put the strategy to the battle plan together and pray it out. It's where you go out there and you do what we're supposed to do before we come to this table, which is serious business. This is the victory. We have not the victory because we come ill-prepared and we end up sick, weak, or even asleep. Take. Let them take from you any preconceived notions you had about this when you came in here that maybe need some new thinking and new practice. Take it. Take it from them. Let them take you wherever he wants to take you. Let him take from you anything he wants to take. Bless. Stop complaining. Period. And start being thankful all the time. You're hurting you, one another, your family, the church, the country, the world. Stop complaining. Start replacing your complaints with gratitude. Find contentment in times of lack and times of plenty. Let him take you to a place where you live from the inside out, not the outside in. Let him take from you the thought pattern and the triggers and the defaults that continually place you in the same place, the same valley every day of life. Let him take them. You paid for them, let him have them. God paid for everything, and it's like he left three or four bags at the cashier. Let him go back and get them. He paid for them. We're holding on to it. Break. Let them break you. I don't know how to say it. Go back and listen to that message a couple of weeks ago. Genesis 32, God wrestling with Jacob. Let them wrestle with you. If there's something you're so holding on to, 
I'm talking about discipleship now. I'm not talking about going to a church and hearing a message and coming back in a week and a half, two weeks, three weeks later, or never at all. I'm talking about if you really want to be a disciple. There is a difference. I get it. If you're really serious about being a disciple, let him wrestle you. Let him wrestle you down and break you of your self-sufficiency in that one area of your life that's causing you problems. Wrestle with them. Grapple with them. Listen to that message. It wasn't half bad. And give. Listen to this verse. It's profound. I know a man who writes this on a piece of paper sometimes when he helps me out and blesses me. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? Oh. I'll leave you with this. John 4, woman at the well. The disciples come back from the grocery store. He said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. John 4 and 32. Therefore the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. What is this, what is this food? We go, everybody goes, well, let's figure out what the food is. I used to do that when I was younger. I wonder what that means. I'm going to come up with the answer. I don't want an answer to that. That's the last answer I want. I want to enjoy the fact that my Lord has reserved space in my life for a mystery. <laughs> and if I don't need to know about it and I don't need to know the answer, who else am I going to trust with that but him? You're going to come to a table. You might have a flashlight and a picture in your hand. You might have the idea that that's just what it looks like and tastes like and smells like. You might think that this juice is the same thing you've ever drank every time you came up here. That's fine. That's your prerogative. I'll not get in your way and cause any kind of divisiveness over it. But do this. Come up here and give him permission. Not that he needs it. to be your mystery, to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. You may not even know you need to do for yourself, or it may be something you resist every step of the way, and you have no knowledge of it. Just let him be God, and let's let us be children, and just do this. in remembrance of him. So communicants would come forward, please. I appreciate it so much. You're gonna come forward in a moment to the uh, elements. This is called the host body. I don't know, maybe the person, maybe an aspect of the person of the Lord of Jesus. I don't know. 
That's just it. I don't know. So, okay. I know I need this cup. I know that. So maybe that's all we need to know right now. Let's pray. Father, the Mysterion. You, every, you know every need in this place before we even know it ourselves or ask for you to fulfill it. And you call us to this table to be one and to love each other and to trust you in this meal. We come with gratitude and thanksgiving. We enter your gates with thanksgiving and your courts with praise. Forgive us if we have in any way, shape, or form not appreciated what you've done for us and what you do for us on a daily basis. We are truly grateful. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we'll have a station over there and on the end. and You come when you're ready. If you've got some examining to do, that's okay. Take your time. But you come when you're ready. Take that host and dip it in the cup. And they're going to say to you, the blood of Jesus Christ shed for the forgiveness of your sins. You can never hear that enough. The blood of Jesus Christ shed for the forgiveness of your sins. My goodness gracious.